Welcome to the first episode of the Facilitator Missionary Podcast. This podcast has been created to host discussions of relevance to Global Partners missionaries who are serving in Phase 4 or Phase 5 fields. My name is Bob Bagley, Associate Executive Director of Global Partners, and I will be your host for this time we're going to be spending together. Today we're going to be talking about the book, The Facilitator Era, by Tom Steffen. This podcast, The Facilitator Missionary, actually has its name coming out of that book and out of discussions that the area directors and leadership council have been having over the past few months that have been triggered by the book. This book seems to be shaping our evolution as an organization. And so since we're talking a lot about it in leadership circles, I think it's important for us to get a little bit of an idea of what the book's all about. Now, Global Partners, Asia Area Director Ben Ward is probably the person you can give the credit or the blame, if you want, for introducing the book to us as an organization. So we thought, who better to tell us about the book than Ben himself? And so, Ben, it's my privilege to welcome you as the first ever guest on the Facilitator Missionary Podcast. Well, thanks, Bob. I'm really honored to get to be here. And uh, of course, this is a subject I love discussing. And uh, very grateful for the opportunity today. Great. Well, let, let's jump right in then, Ben. Can you give us a quick overview of the book so we can understand what the big idea is and maybe we don't have to spend money and buy it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, in this book, Stefan identifies the eras of modern missions, uh, starting with uh, the, the effort to go to the coastlands. Uh, William Carey would probably be the person that we would associate with that. That would have been from the early 1800s. And a lot of missionary sending uh, was from primarily UK at that time and reached out to the coastland areas. Um, so then the second area, the second era was a push into the inlands think of uh, David Livingston going up into Central Africa, uh, Hudson Taylor going into Central China. This would have been mid to late 1800s. Uh, he was the founder of uh, China Inland Mission, Hudson Taylor was. I think about in our own history, uh, we had some, uh, some of our early work starting there, at least in our area in India, our oldest field is started in 1894 in central India in Chattisgar. And uh, so that was part of this inland wave of mission sending. Yeah, our, our stuff in, in yeah. Africa started at the same time. In fact, I could remember in, in southern Africa, they had huge revival on the coast where they landed, but abandoned that work because they felt God called them to the people who had never heard before inland. Mm. Wow. That's fascinating. That's, that, that's a really good practical example of uh, how the book applies to our organization. Um, so that'd be the second area, the inland push. Uh, the third era of missions was uh, focused on unreached peoples. Uh, two names we would associate with that, Donald McGavran, um, who is who talked a lot about people groups and uh, kind of introduced this idea of 
can the gospel spread as far as it can through a people group, the homogenous unit principle. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also had Cameron Townsend, uh, the founder of Wycliffe, um, who had a focus on getting the scripture in every language of the world. Uh, so you would have been looking in, in the 1900s at this point, uh, and people groups became something that we talked about uh, for years, and in fact, we still do. We talked about the number of unreached people groups that are left. Uh, so, that's, so the third era was a very influential era of missions. Um, as far as how it relates to GP, some of our fields are named after people groups. So we've got... Uh, uh, the uh, noon people, Karis people uh, in Central Asia. Um, so those fields, you could argue, were started in the third era of uh, uh, missions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those, those three eras, do those come from originally from Ralph Winter, the perspectives course and so on? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. I remember reading some from Ralph Winter on that. Uh, so Stefan's main contribution is to suggest that we've entered a fourth era of missions. And this is for the reached to the unreached. So if the third era was unreached peoples, the fourth era is the reached peoples going to the unreached peoples. And reading into what he's talking about, he's talking about places that were previously mission fields becoming part of the mission sending force um, or new sending countries. And then that's where the name facilitator era comes from, which is a little bit more of, uh, of a Western focus on that because his suggestion is that what instead of focusing exclusively on pioneer church planning, uh, what we need to do is focus on facilitating. So we facilitate places that had been uh, previously pioneer works, now a church is growing. Uh, we help them to uh, start sending their own missionaries. Yeah. So I think, I, I mean, back to your question, some of the overview of the book to talk a little bit more about what the facilitator era is. I think it's come about for several reasons. Uh, one is just the success of missionary, uh, the success of mission endeavors in the previous three eras. Uh, so you've had the rise of the global South. There are more Christians that live outside the traditional centers of Christianity than live inside them. So there are more Christians in Africa, Latin America, and uh, places in Asia than there are in, uh, in the Western world. Um, so these churches are rising up and they're wanting to send. I think you also have an increase in global connectedness. Uh, so there's more people that can be involved in cross-cultural work through short-term uh, missions. And this wasn't something that was as open to us in the previous eras as it is today. Uh, so there's, there's an opportunity, really, for more people to get engaged. So does, does Stefan 
I'm assuming uh, that he, he, he views this as a positive development for world mission? Yeah, I think the book as a whole is, is very uh, optimistic. Um, I think it has a touch of pragmatism to it. Like he's saying, this is, this is the way things are moving. Um, so I, there's some aspect of it where if, if we want to continue to be relevant, we need to be able to get on board with it. Uh, I think one thing that's interesting is how Stefan uh, traces this change through different arenas. So he'll talk about how does this impact teaching? How does it impact business's mission, uh, financial strategies where money is involved? Uh, how does it impact storytelling and presenting the gospel? Um, so he traces it through a lot of different areas. And one thing that struck me as I read the book is that the mission remains unchanged. We're still about making disciples all around the world. Uh, we're still about seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. But it's almost like the facilitator era thinking is installing a new operating system for us. Uh, I don't know, Bob, when you first started using computers, uh, when I first started, uh, DOS was the operating system, and you have a little command prompt you'd be typing at. Mm -hmm. And uh, then eventually we had Windows 3.1 come out, and I remember that was a pretty life-changing experience. And then Windows 95 and 98 and all the versions of Windows <laughs> and uh, Mac OS, which is what I'm at now. And yeah, all of these operating systems, they don't tell us what task we should accomplish, but they do greatly influence how we go about accomplishing a certain task. And so I think the facilitator era, one of Stefan's main purposes for writing the book is to help us to install a new operating system. So fulfilling the Great Commission by making disciples that's remaining consistent, but how we go about making disciples needs to change. So it's, it's, it's not a mission shift, but a paradigm shift of, of some sort in terms of accomplishing that mission. Absolutely. I'd say that's a, that's a very succinct summary of it, Bob. I think, I think one other thing that's good to keep in mind as we read the book, and this is something that resonated with me a lot, mm -hmm. is uh, uh, the construct that Stefan used. I think the first time I read about it was from Winter, and, and you may uh, know more accurately if there was another person involved in influencing this, but the idea of CP1, CP2, CP3, these mm -hmm. uh, concentric circles. Yeah. So CP is church planning. So CP1 is church planning in the same culture as, as the, the person that's initiating the effort is from. Uh, CP2 is planning in a similar culture. That's that next ring out. And then CP3 is planning in a different culture. And uh, Stefan makes the argument through his book that our CP3, somewhere that's a vastly different culture for us as North Americans, 
may be in someone else's CP2. Um, so there's a lot of unreached people groups in India, which, you know, we, at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about how we've been sending uh, to India for over a hundred years now. And there are a lot of organizations that have been sending to India. One thing I was surprised to learn is that India still has the largest number of unreached people groups of any country in the world. Mm. So there's still a lot of unreached people groups in India, but we do have six Wesleyan churches spread around in different parts of the country, uh, different language groups that they're working on. And uh, so it may make more strategic sense for us to facilitate Wesleyan church sending within India uh, versus us going to some of sending missionaries to do pioneer church planning among unreached people in India. And I mean, obviously, Bob, there are a lot of factors in that. It's hard to make a, a one-size-fits-all statement about that. But I think that's just an example of this principle of facilitating that our CP3 may be someone else's CP2. And we should look at ways that we can facilitate and work together uh, with churches globally. So I... I don't know whether I'm reading into you or reading into him, uh, that he would be saying that one of our objectives during this era then is to reduce the amount of CP3 that is actually happening in favor of facilitating CP1 or 2. You know, he, I think he kind of stopped short of saying that, and I think that's probably the tension that some people would feel as they read the book. Um, you know, the Stefan, uh, as he tells the story, it's, it's actually a fictional narrative that he weaves through the story to make the points that he wants to make. Um, but this Dr. Nobly, who is the person delivering the insights about facilitator era in the book, um, appears to be Stefan writing himself under the book in third person. And uh, so this Dr. Nobly, uh, Stefan figure, talks about how uh, he still teaches a course on pioneer church planning. And in another part of the book, he argues that before you can be an effective facilitator, you need to be a pioneer. You need to have that experience and, and have the credibility to be able to speak into church mm -hmm. planning movements. Um, so I... I think that Stefan walks that line pretty well. Um, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, Bob, uh, how you think that he straddles that line between advocating for pioneering and advocating for facilitating. Well, I, yeah, it seemed to me like he was trying to do away with CP3. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay, so that's the way you, you took it. That, that, that's the way I read him. Um, yeah. I, maybe we should have had him on the call as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To do, do him justice. Um, but obviously, if, if... Well, maybe it's not so obvious. I was going to say, obviously, <laughs> CP1 or CP2 is going to be more effective, but sometimes... Because of the distance, CP3 missionaries actually get, get a hearing that those who are closer 
no prophets accepted in his own hometown. Um, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I can't remember which context it was, but uh, Stefan actually gave some examples of, you know, we make some assumptions about CP1, CP2, where we think, well, it'd be obvious for that group to reach their CP2. But there's some uh, there's some status factors, there's some cultural differences that maybe as Westerners we wouldn't recognize. So yeah. CP3 actually has a better chance of working. Yeah, maybe some background so conflicts or something. Yeah. Right. So and, and I think that's something as an organization that we would have to uh, be careful about regarding the book that we keep a mm -hmm. focus on pioneering. Um, uh, when we did a poll of our area directors when we were discussing the book, we believe that 70 to 80 percent of the people we send should still be toward pioneering works. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that pioneering has got us, we've got to keep sounding a certain trumpet for pioneer church planning. Um, at the same time, I think this added competency that we can add of uh, facilitating is something that could be really valuable for us. I think it honors the national church well and recognizes the role that they play. Um, and it just brings us closer to seeing God's kingdom expand from everywhere to everywhere. Yeah. Um, why, why would you say that this resonated so deeply with Dr. Jackson and the area directors? That's a good question, Bob. I think that Stefan gave us some explicit language to describe what we've all been sensing intuitively, and that's that things are changing. Um, for one thing, in a North American context, larger Wesleyan churches want to set and influence strategy for cross-cultural outreach. In the past, when churches were relatively smaller, this strategic responsibility fully rested with Wesleyan world missions. Uh, so in some ways, local churches' uh, role was simpler. Today, as churches have grown a lot, they want to take a more active role in setting strategy and figuring out the best way to engage their people in missions. Uh, so that is, uh, that's how the facilitator era has impacted our movement and something that we've, we felt like we're trying to respond to. Um, short teams are on the rise. That's part of that, part of that same idea. And I think even more significantly than that, than the changes that are happening with the North American church, the Wesleyan Church globally has more members uh, outside the U.S. than inside the U.S., and I th it's safe to include Canada in that as well. So we could say the Wesleyan Church globally has more members outside North America than inside North America. And as these churches strengthen, they want to engage in cross-cultural work. And Bob, I, I think that's a great thing. It's not surprising. Mm -hmm. you know, just yeah. as churches read scripture, uh, that's, that's the full fruition of their maturity is that they want to send cross-cultural workers. And so that makes the previous operating system of resourcing and controlling everything from North America obsolete. So I, I think that's one 
pr probably the main reason why facilitator era uh, resonated with our team is that we see it as speaking to some of the realities that we're facing right now. Yeah. Um, so, so it really fits in with the, the E to E M E to E emphasis that, that we have increasingly be, been talking about. That's right. That's right. And I think what we're saying by everywhere to everywhere or E to E is that we need to recognize the major role our Wesleyan national churches play in reaching the unreached. Uh, we need to rethink how we engage in missions in light of these new realities. Uh, we need to humble ourselves. We need to share power more quickly. And perhaps we can effectively engage the Great Commission by facilitating sending from inter international churches instead of only pioneering. And again, I mean, <laughs> it feels like there's a warning anytime that we... Uh, elevate the importance of facilitating, that we don't de-elevate the importance of pioneering. It's really a both and and, and not an either or thing that we need to adopt. I, I found it interesting you, what you said about uh, area directors saying we still need to send 75 to 80 percent of our, our missionaries to those pioneer areas because that was a, a strategic decision made by Wesleyan World Missions, I think pre-GP name days, um, 20 years ago or so, uh, that our older fields, Africa, Latin America, South Pacific, uh, we would maintain relationship, but our focus would be on opening new fields, new areas uh, in Europe, uh, Turkic Arabic, and some parts of Asia. Um, so, so, you don't feel like we as an organization now are going to shift back towards a focus with EDE and facilitation and less involvement with, with pioneer church planting? Yeah, and Bob, I'd be interested to hear your historical perspective on this because, uh, I mean, you could speak to uh, obviously a larger swath of our history when we're thinking through that. Um, but I, I think strategically, we can't lessen our urgency for pioneer church planning. Um, four in 10 people live without access to the gospel. And so pioneer church planning still has great relevance today. I think that even our pioneer church planners would benefit from reading the facilitator era because uh, on those fields, they're going to, if, if all goes as we're praying that it does, uh, they're going to receive non-North Americans that are going to want to be part of their team there and in some sense work together to reach people in pioneering areas. Um, so if you are a missionary in, in, uh, in Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan, um, you know, how do you adapt to having Korean people join your team or Chinese people or Africans? And uh, so that's going to take, so those missionaries are going to be thrust into facilitating role as well. Um, having been there longer, in most cases, they're going to have the ability to help uh, new team members adjust and be a little bit of a cultural broker there. Uh, so I think there's a lot of relevance in the facilitator era thinking uh, to our 
our people that are working in pioneer places. And I think also uh, it brings a new focus for our missionaries that are working in phase, to, phase four to five fields. And maybe a new focus isn't the word, but a new, uh, a new value to their role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, and, and Bob, I don't know as much as it was in the past, but uh, we could see missionaries going to phase four to five fields uh, not as much to directly do ministry, but as to facilitate the national church uh, moving toward sending. And so I think that's one of the distinctions between uh, not not every missionary that goes to a phase four to five field or a more mature field is automatically a facilitator. Being an effective facilitator requires some specialization in helping them uh, mature to the point of sending. So I, th- I think that's one distinction to make there. Um, as far as where we're going as an organization um, and how this book could have an impact, I think about in our, uh, in our Asia team, uh, we've talked a lot about how we can install this new kind of operating system. Uh, our goal for the last year has been intentional collaboration we want to convene national leaders. Uh, we had a big event planned, and now it's, it was for scheduled for 2020. Now it's scheduled for 2021, where we wanted to bring together at least three leaders from the 20 or so fields of Asia Pacific. And the goal is to create more horizontal relationships that will eventually make the more traditional vertical relationships with uh, Indianapolis obsolete. Uh, So we've had a lot of our fields that have been accustomed to relating to their area director and ultimately to Wesleyan Church HQ, global partners, or uh, the home office or home board, as they would usually call it. Um, And those vertical relationships have worked for a time, but I think what would really propel the mission forward is if we could create more horizontal relationships where leaders from our different fields are connecting with each other and working together on how they can strengthen one another and how they can help each other to start sending. Um, So that's been one major focus for us is intentional collaboration. Uh, The other thing that we've been discussing a lot that's that's pretty closely connected is how how could we create some new management structures that don't assume North America is the primary sender and driver of the mission enterprise. Um, For us in our area, how can we partner with the Philippines, uh, which is a general conference now? How can we partner with South Pacific Conference, uh, which is Australia, New Zealand? Um, So those are some established conferences that are in our area. Uh, So the question would be, how can we work together in the area? Um, And the next step beyond that would be, how can we help Uh, facilitate people from other fields that are wanting to send into Asia Pacific. Uh, Brazil has a work uh, going on in East Timor right now. And uh, so we want that to be a Brazilian field. um, And they're asking us for some help in facilitating. So I think we're trying to figure out what our role would be in that Mm -hmm. and to make sure that we don't take on too great of a role that that uh, 
that kind of limits their ability to work in that field. Excellent. It, it sounds to me like, like our measure of success is changing. Mm -hmm. That in the previous era, our, our measure of success was how many countries we could color in because we had a presence. And our measure of success in this facilitator era might be to the, the extent to which the, the global church has been mobilized and, and we partner with in coloring in countries on her global map. Yes, I think that's a great observation, Bob. And I think as those measures of success change, um, it will require some more humility on our parts. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it will require us to look at our identity a little bit more deeply and, and think about what are we deriving our identity from as individual missionaries and as an organization. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Ben, for taking the time to, to help us with this. I suggested that maybe it would help us so we wouldn't have to buy the book. I, I'm afraid <laughs> it's whetted the appetite. Uh, it's a pricey book, though, isn't it? Yes, but the good news is on Kindle, uh, it's come down to $10. So, I think if you want the print version, it's in the 30s or 40s, but if you, uh, if you can settle for the Kindle, then you can get it for about $10. So that's what I'd recommend. And we can expensify it to the Asia area? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 sure. We'll, we'll be <laughs> maybe, maybe we better not make that offer. <laughs> as, long, as long as you send us uh, missionaries from your area that you facilitate to come for here, we'll gladly buy you the $10 buck. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Ben. Appreciate your help and your, your insight. Well, thank you, Bob. It's an honor to be your first guest on the podcast. Okay, great. And if those of you who are listening want to discuss this matter of the facilitator era further, why don't you hop over to the Facilitator Missionary Facebook group and you'll have a chance there to chime in. And until next time, take care. God bless.